Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Wow, what a week in real estate and we have so much to talk about. Right now we're watching the markets almost come to a full stop. People are reading the headlines and getting a little bit nervous and I, uh, I definitely want to weigh in on that. Also, uh, later in the hour, I've got minutes with the mayor and I've got a returning mayor, first returning mayor. It's Mayor, mayor Jeremy D. Williams from Orangeville. Always a pleasure to chat with him and he'll be joining us later in the hour. And are you thinking of renovating? Well, you know what? My guest, John Carlos Afidis, he is from Build. He's a director there. And uh, we're going to be talking about the renovation and what is going on in that marketplace. And of course, I've got to talk about interest rates. Are they going to change? And what is the Bank of Canada thinking? Instead of me babbling on about it, you know what? How about I bring in our mortgage expert, Mr. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate it. So, you know, you and I, it's, it's amazing. Every couple of weeks, you know, you and I have a chat on air and we talk about, you know, prices going up, where's the market going. Uh, it seems like full stop brakes are absolutely screaming right now. Bank of Canada is threatening to increase rates. You know, sales are down. It's like a complete reversal in eight weeks. So I got I got to ask you, you know, you are you are front and center in the mortgage world. I mean, your head must be spinning trying to take in all the data what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this has been just a wild ride. I mean, 2017 has uh has shown us some stuff we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, obviously, this morning we got some news uh, that Warren Buffett's company is actually involved in uh, helping uh, helping get some funds over with Home Capital. That that that's kind of interesting news, I think, to everybody. Just to see, you know, how that that Warren Buffett's uh, company reaches so far that they're even in, you know, as far as into the Canadian real estate uh, business and working with Home Capital. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, to to your point, obviously, from that. April high, we've seen certainly uh, new deals, new transactions has kind of dropped a little bit. But, you know, it's interesting. We're so, at least on our side, on the mortgage side, we're extremely busy still closing all the deals that were written back in March and April and obviously still in in May. Um, So we haven't necessarily noticed the slow effect at our office where we're not doing anything. We're still finding ourselves insanely busy trying to get all these deals closed. We are seeing some deals come in, but certainly uh, a lot of our uh, uh, clients that have, uh, you know, they're in the process of selling a home. Uh, they are now coming back to us and saying, hey, we may have to make a different decision now because we're not getting the type of offers that we were hoping to get. So it's, it's, it's certainly forcing a change of focus. Um, it's certainly forcing a change in how, you know, some of these clients are moving forward. Um, but uh, certainly, I mean, it's the good news is obviously we've still got low rates. Uh, we have heard rumblings from the Bank of Canada that they will increase prime. And I don't know, Todd, what are your thoughts? Because certainly for me, uh, a lot of times the government will float that information out there to try to get the public's response and the reaction up front so they can kind of decide what to do. And obviously we knew that they've given us this kind of go, you know, go between of, hey, we are looking at increasing the prime rate. I'm wondering if they'll really do it, though, when they've seen kind of what the public outcry has been. But, I mean, it's going to be an interesting time over the next little while. Yeah, One of the things I wanted to bring up to you as well and your listeners is that we've got a real interesting dilemma here. Uh, If the Bank of Canada does raise the prime rate by a quarter, 
Remember, the last two times that the Bank of Canada reduced the prime rate there in 2015, the banks only accepted a 0.15 reduction. So if the Bank of Canada does increase prime by 0.25, will the banks only increase it by 0.15? So we've got, there's a lot of different things going on here that we're trying to you know, keep an eye on. And, and of course, the fixed rates have become a little more popular over the last little while. We're getting asked more and more about fixed rates when prior to uh, April or May of this year, I hadn't had many fixed rate conversations with clients. Everybody was jumping on the variable. Yeah, you know, it's a great point that you make regarding the, you know, the potential of the prime going up. And the real question needs to be asked then, do the banks follow suit? And you and I both know that, you know, when prime was at 1%, and we surfed that way for quite a quite a long time, you know, we'd watch the banks fluctuate it down. And, you know, if you remember historically, Dave, you know, we were seeing still the low rates, they were in the low twos, even though prime was at one, because the banks would heavily discount things. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of wonder, you know, this, the, the whole idea of the Bank of Canada doing this, you know, it, again, as you said, you know, let's, 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 let's throw a warning shot and see if everybody loses their stuff, or if it's actually going to happen. And if it does happen, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, like we had a few years ago, when BMO decided to bring the rates below 3%, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of the lenders say, hey, listen, there's still a big mortgage market out there, we better be careful not to lose too much of it. And so they're going to stay competitive. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people seem to think, you know, that the banks aren't able to make moves, you know, and, and obviously in my thought, your thought is, well, you know, if the bank can't, does increase pride, which it could happen, um, you know, and whatever effect we see from that, it, I think we're, we're forgetting that the bank can certainly just discount the variable rate more if they decide to. Now, of course, we don't, we don't know, you know, the ins and outs and the schematics on how that's going to work, but certainly uh, I don't necessarily, and I'm sure you don't, I don't think that we're just going to see the banks roll over. No, I don't. I, I don't think they're going to do a run up because first and foremost, you know, we still have a very robust market. And as you mentioned earlier, that you know, you're dealing with people that are closing, and and there's still going to be closings throughout the summer. You know, the the heat has come off the market. I don't know if it. I, I think it would have happened naturally. You know, you and I've had a lot of discussions after, over the last little while talking about the actual real estate market itself. You know, when was it going to finally kind of hit that crest? Well, now I think we we're hitting the crest, and then. Finally, somebody decided to take out the bottom of the market. And now we've got to take a look at the people that are sitting there. You know, they're cheering on the sidelines going, yeah, let's watch the, the values drop. But a lot, of the, a lot of these people have to realize that the people that own these properties, you know, you talk about the baby boomers. This is, this is a huge part of their retirement. But yet you've got this next generation saying, force their prices down, force their prices down to make it affordable for them. And what they don't realize is they're actually shooting themselves in the foot. And the government needs to kind of, I think, have a wake up call and say, fine, let's, you know, are you, are you going to take 20 to 30% of somebody's retirement savings, take it away from them? So are, you, are they ready to subsidize people in the future? Yeah, no, I mean, these are all, these are all interesting points. They're all talking points in terms of what I'm hearing uh, amongst the industry. I mean, there's just a lot of question marks right now. I mean, anyone you talk to, even when I talk to some of these big wigs at these banks and the mortgage side, um, even, you know, typically they'll have an answer for you. And even right now, they just don't have an answer because we're kind of charting into unknown territory. Um, and, and simply because we've seen reductions in 2015 when I believe our economy overall didn't necessarily need it, but the government felt the 
need to bail out Central Canada because of the uh, the oil prices going down. Um, you know, and and it's funny. I mean, I always say this to, to some of my clients as well. I say, you know, remember that what the rates were in 2015. You know, and even you know this, Todd. That we had a very, very, very stable real estate market and mortgage market in 2015. And I think we both can see that in 2016 it started to kind of get a bit off the rails in terms of the increases and in the you know the size of them. And then certainly the beginning of 2017, we saw the same kind of follow-up from 2016. Uh, I, I'm not a horrible, you know, I'm not, not typically and horribly against uh, having the levels back to where they were in 2015, because I think you and I, um, we were just as busy, and our clients were just as happy, and I think there was a lot more stability back then. And it's the funny thing is, there's only a difference of about a 0.3 to 0.5 interest rate from 2015 to 2016 in terms of the prime and what the banks accepted. So, uh, you know, certainly we've seen some in, some insane volume. Um, it was a fun ride, um, <laughs> and I certainly think that, you know, look, look, looking at the future, I'm not not opposed to getting back to 2015 levels. I think there's still a very healthy, that's a solid, you know, core that we were working with back then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just don't want to see, like you, I don't want to see any kind of major moves by the government. I really would you know, not like to see them increase prime past what it was in 2015, because effectively they'd be saying that, you know, our economy is out of trouble completely, regardless of the oil sector. Uh, and I think that would be a little premature. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, uh, you know, we've got, you know, Sears is uh, seeking protection. We see that uh, home capital, you know, with Berkshire Hathaway stepping in, Warren Buffett. And and if anything, you know, that's not, that's not a bad thing. I think it shows, if anything, you know, he is notorious for going to buying undervalued companies that are kind of in distress. And, you know, they do turn around, but he, do, he does it because he knows that they're, they, they are undervalued. And I think that move by him should ensure a few of the people that are holding, you know, uh, some of the shares of home capital that you know if, uh, if a guy like him comes in there's a reason for it and the fact that he thinks that the value is there so I think that's I think it's a positive for both home capital and the overall mortgage industry you know because we we were getting a little bit nervous with some of the uh, second tiered lenders where they were you know accusing that the you know if, if home capital goes down the entire real estate market will collapse underneath it yeah I mean and that was the thought and I mean as, as, as you're stating right now I mean uh, with Warren Buffett getting involved and his company getting involved Something certainly tells me that they're not jumping into something that is about to fall off a cliff. Uh, they're predominantly known for making the wisest investment moves in the world um, and being able to see uh, where there's a lot of openings. And clearly, Warren Buffett and his crew are looking at Canada and saying, there is no you know bubble coming up. Uh, you know, what we're dealing with is certainly, I think, you know, we had we had two primary three keys, three sorry, decreases in 2015 that were not scheduled. And uh, that could have helped, obviously, uh, get to where we are today. And certainly, if they're going to reduce or increase, sorry, prime back up the 0.5, and, and coincidentally, maybe only the 0.3 that the banks had accepted over that year, um, I think we'll still be in a great shape. I mean, I, I do believe if we were to go back and look at the data, 2015 was still a record year from year over year from 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think if we were to get back to those types of levels, I do believe that it's probably a more balanced market, if anything. Yeah, I definitely think that's where we need to be. Well, Dave, always a pleasure as usual. You know what? We'll definitely stay in contact with you over the summer because it's going to be an interesting, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting few months. So, uh, you know. <laughs> you got it. I, it's my pleasure, and I do appreciate it, Todd. Excellent. Thanks so much, Dave. Take care. All right. Folks, that was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And uh, when we come back, we've got John Carlos Safitas from Build. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. You know, always great to have Dave Butler on. And I got to tell you, I think the next few months are going to be the most interesting we've ever seen in the last few years in real estate. You know, with a huge run up the way it was, you know, we just kept watching it go up and up and up. And everybody was sitting there saying, when is it going to stop? Well, you know what? I think we're going to get a little bit of a seesaw battle. Just like Vancouver, they're on their way back up. They went down. Now they're on their way back up. I think that the GTA market's going to feel a little bit of that. So have you been thinking of moving and said to yourself, wait a minute, we can't find anything that we truly want. So why don't we renovate our home? Well, you know what? You've heard my uh, next guest uh, several times. It's John Carlos Sofitas. He is from Build. He is a director there. And John Carlo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. Great to be here. Always great to have you. And I got to tell you, you know what? You, uh, you know, I, I have to I have to brag a little bit about you because our listeners have to know how amazing you are at your trade you understand it you know um, for those of you that have never heard uh, an interview with John Carlo folks um, you know when you deal with a company like build you have to understand that it is amazing you know as an organization they really do have the best contractors uh, in the in the Ontario area for sure and so um, John Carlo you know one of the things that right now we are seeing is a huge run-up in renovations because people have finally put on the brakes on moving and now they're saying hey listen let's do the work our ourselves and get higher contractor do renovations um, I mean you guys must be busy as, as I'll get out uh, absolutely you're so right about that Todd and uh, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer when you factor in the high cost of real estate the transaction costs and particularly in the Toronto area with two land transfer taxes people are saying really okay what's it gonna cost me I could sell my house I'll make a good buck but what's it gonna cost me to get into the space that I want and they're weighing it all out and saying, let's just renovate the space we're in. We get what we want. It's more customized and it's actually cheaper. One of the things I've been trying to advise our listeners, and, and I know some people are going to kind of go, Todd, hang on. But I'm a big fan of people going out and getting new appraisals in this market. And let me explain why. Because for yourself as a, a facilitator of renovations, and I'd rather I'd rather say it that way. Because when, you know, sometimes people think contractor is a bad word, but I'd rather say you are a facilitator facilitator of a dream, um, you know, a lot of people uh, fall short on the money. Okay. And yes. so if they're able to establish a value today and put a home line of credit, so get it established at the higher value, this is going to give them more leeway. Is this one of the things that people struggle with? I mean, obviously, you know, everybody has a budget, but sometimes people just struggle to be able to get the money for the budget. Well, and that's a very good observation on your part, for sure. And you know, as you said, with the higher values of real estate today, people are putting that HELOC, that home equity line of credit on to be able to affect the renovations that they want because they think that the market's just going to go up, up, and up. And at this point, there's no evidence to suggest that they're wrong. And real estate, as we know, is a long-term hold, and it does appreciate inevitably and invariably in the long term, notwithstanding its ups and downs. And there's another factor to it as well, Todd. You know, you have to put some value on the actual enjoyment of your property. You renovate for a reason, right? To enjoy the space, to enjoy your home, and there's a value to that. So let's not sell that short as well. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, so, so many people have been looking at uh, 
their homes as ATMs for a little while. And, you know, this is this is this is part of the problem, I think. And I think the perception, you know, there's so many speculators that were coming into the marketplace saying, hey, listen, if we buy this and then we're going to turn around and sell it. And if the market checks up on them, you know, they're going to own something. So why not own something that is usable? Uh, you know, think of your lifestyle. And I think that that's one of the things that true professional contractors like yourself that have been in the business for so many years, you know, I don't think your perception when you go and meet with somebody is how much money you're willing to spend. It's more like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? What I, am I right? And that's, assuming that? You're bang on. I mean, that's one of the first questions I ask. What is it you want to do here? What's your holding period? Are you doing this for a quick buck to sell? Are you going, what's your holding period? Is this a five, 10 year hold? You know, and that will shape the, uh, the discussion and the nature of the renovation itself. Yeah. And, and because I think, I think a lot of people in, and you know, we all love it. It's, as, as John Moore will say, he goes, you know, real estate's the new porn. And, and when you take a look at all these HGTV programs where they show, you know, take this house and flip it, renovate this, renovate that, you know, and you've got all these wonderful shows out there, you know, it, it, it's candy for some people. And yet I think it's very det detrimental to others because they see it on TV and they say, oh yeah, but we can do that. So they call up, you know, let's say a company like yours and say, well, you know, I saw this on TV, let's do this. And then I'm going to make, make a million dollars. It's sort of like, okay, but hang on. You, a, you're not dealing with the same the same time okay like you know it's funny it's amazing how a renovation can happen in, in a span of an hour long well, show isn't and that's it? <laughs> what we say all the time and you know one of the first things i say to prospective clients is i cannot renovate your house in 42 and a half minutes i'm sorry <laughs> it just doesn't work that way right you know so people need to be aware of the scope of the renovation what it is they want you know what are they trying to accomplish and then we have to at the end of the day i always say this the the contractor is a partner with the homeowner you know we are your partner in helping you realize your vision for your home right that's what the, and that and it goes back to the point you started with as a facilitator that's right. exactly what we are well you know it's always a moving target because what one of the things i learned when when i was in the industry as a contractor you know they start off with one idea <laughs> And, and yes, then we've seen and, that a few uh, times. A few times, and you know, so so let's say you know they, they they even when they pick flooring, you know they'll pick a certain tile. You you as a contractor, you have your tile person come in, they do a beautiful job and install. They walk into it and they say, I don't like it. And then they turn around and they take exception where you sit there and say, well, it's going to cost to break the tile and bring in new stuff. Yeah, but I didn't like it. Well, hang on. You know, one, one of the things that uh, I definitely want to talk to you, and you've been good enough to say that you're going to stay on for our next segment, is the fact I think you and I need to talk about, A, the contract aspect of hiring contractors. In other words, you know, what 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 people need to have in writing. And uh, But one of, the, one of the things that, you know, we were just alluding to when we're talking about value, you know, I think that when you do the right renovations and you do it, you know, you do it for yourself, but you're actually adding value to it. And it's kind of hard to quantify the exact return you get for some renovations. Are you finding that people are sitting there saying, listen, I want to do $1,000 worth of renovations, but I want a $10,000 return on it? Well, I mean, that's always the case, right? It's uh, the old adage, people want uh, a Cadillac on a Ford Pinto budget, right? <laughs> Um, we we hear that. I don't, I don't think anybody knows what a Pinto is nowadays. <laughs> Perhaps I'm dating myself yeah, here, Todd. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, we, we hear that a lot. 
and yeah. we understand it, right? I mean, it's and it's a pretty natural thing to want as much as you can for as little as you can possibly pay. We get that. And one of our roles, and again, you're prescient in your point about contracts, is we have to spell it out in writing, what it is you're getting, so that there's no misunderstanding, no miscommunication, because the best surprise is no surprise. And I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah, excellent. Listen, uh, like I said, great to have you on. We're going to go do a quick break. When we come back, I do want to analyze a contract with you, okay? We're going to break down some of the highlights, and I think everybody should stay tuned for this, because if you are thinking of uh, doing some renovations, you know what, folks? We want to make sure you're covered. So uh, when we come back, we've got more with John Carlo Safitas. He is uh, director at Build, and definitely some great information. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Hey, listen, if you're just tuning in, my guest right now is John Carlos Afitas, and he is a director at Build. Um, you know, for our listeners' sake, can you explain what Build is? Because a lot of I'm sitting there naturally just thinking, I know what Build is, and you know what Build is, but maybe our listeners don't. Build is an acronym for the Building Industry and Land Development Association. So it is an amalgamation of the former uh, Toronto Home Builders Association and the Urban Development Institute. And uh, obviously it represents a, a wide cross-section of interests and participants in the real estate industry, from renovators to the large developers to service providers to financial people. Excellent. So we try to cover virtually everyone. Yeah, basically from A to Z when you start into any form of renovation process. And, um, you know, just before the break, you and I were having a good chat about, you know, people's motivation, about what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, it's not just necessarily about dollars and cents. It's actually about what are they trying to change in their life at their new, in their new properties. Yes, uh, it is a lifestyle thing. I mean, if it's not a financial question, if people aren't renovating just for the quick flip to make the quick dollar, it is a lifestyle thing. People are expecting to increase the size of their family or it's a later in life renovation where they need, you know, accessible uh, elements put into the house. So it usually is a lifestyle thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting because as, as you and I have had a front row seat to the real estate market over the last few years, you know, being in the industry the way we are. Uh, we've watched, you know, obviously prices have a huge, huge increase. We're starting to see that soften a little. And But one of the things is that you had your two extremes. And, and one of the things that we recognized uh, in the real estate world was you have your, I, I always love them called your fixer-uppers, needs a little <laughs> TLC. Yes. You know, whenever the, whenever a property was described as needing TLC, um, you know, that, that I always cringed thinking about what that property is going to look like inside. Because, you know, when it, when, a, when an agent actually throws that out there, you know, it's like uh, hire a contractor or a bulldozer, one of the two. It's a step away from being condemned. That's, That's what TLC right. means. <laughs> you know, and then when we take a look at, you know, obviously what people have done for improvements, the brand new builds, you know, and, and you know, it's kind of funny because if you listen to a lot of the public, you know, people were complaining, oh, everybody's, you know, knocking down little houses, putting up these mansions. And yet, a lot of the people that were building these, they were building them for their families. And, and you're so right. And that speaks to the housing stock of Toronto, of the city. Um, it needs renewal. And there's no question about it. There's still lots of small little uh, post-World War II bungalows. And people are buying them and building them 
because they need the space. And we have to have housing that is commensurate with our lifestyle, that suits our lifestyle. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it's interesting because th- there is no more land, obviously. It doesn't, you know, land just doesn't pop up. It's like, hey, we need three acres over there. Let's grow it. Um, the only way you can do it, obviously, is knock down you know, your, your older properties. A lot of people are struggling with neighborhoods, though. Yes. They're saying, you know, it doesn't fit in the old neighborhood. You know, and now we're seeing this. Are you finding that when, because, you know, as, as a contractor, you know, uh, you yourself have to make applications, you know, when you're going to be doing things. Are you finding any pushback? For, and, and I'm not going to pick on any one neighborhood, but I'm pretty sure there's pushback. People saying, no, 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 we don't, we don't want that here. And that's an excellent point and excellent question, Todd. Yes, we find, we get pushback all the time. And that's because there's a, a real aversion to change that one of people's natural instincts we find is that, no, I don't want to change. And this is, you know, we have to go from this whole concept of nimbyism, not in my backyard, (laughs) to yimbyism, yes, in my backyard, because we have to recognize that this city is growing, our housing stock is antiquated, out of date, we need to update that. And yes, by definition, and necessarily, this is going to cause upheaval in most neighborhoods. But this is not a bad thing. I know it could be annoying if you're living around construction sites, but at the end of the day, it's good for everybody. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I think a lot of people fail to recognize is the fact that if the new neighbor is willing to invest $2 million in a brand new home, let's say they purchased the property for a million, now they've got a $3 million investment, it only helps them and their values. And this is why we've seen in a lot of the more you know, older established neighborhoods, we're watching the values go up and people are sitting there saying, no, it's for an investment. No, it's not. It's actually real investment going in because people are looking for locations. They're looking for schools. They're looking for proximity. And because we can't continue to build outwards and and still have all those amenities. I mean, you know, some neighborhoods obviously do, but there are those people that want to have proximity. And so this is why that whole idea of infill is so important. It's essential. I would say infill housing helps to keep the housing market healthy insofar as it meets a, a certain type of demand that other forms of housing simply cannot fill. And and this is the irony because you have all these intensification requirements and policies from the provincial government and yet you get pushback from the municipalities. So it's people like us and our industry association that's kind of caught in the middle. We're actually doing the heavy lifting for provincial government intensification, right? So we're getting the pushback and we're saying, well, no, it's a nice piece of land. We can build a 2,500 square foot home or 800 square foot bungalow was. So this is a good thing. This meets the, the mandated policies. Well, you know, it's interesting because it also, you increase the taxation value of a property and any municipality I know no no municipality is saying oh we want less taxes I mean, let's, well, let, let's be realistic and we make that point with the uh, municipal politicians that we meet time and time again you know we tell them why is it taking almost 48 weeks to get a building permit you would think that the city would have a vested interest in facilitating uh, the procurement of building permits because it means as you said more 
property tax for them. Well, and it's not just that. It's also the employment and people recognizing a neighborhood. So. We could speak to employment, and I could let you know <laughs> that the renovation industry is now larger than the new home building industry in terms of uh, jobs generated and income and wealth generated. And and, and what is do you, you normally have that number at the top of your head as, as usual. What, we're, many, over, we're about $5.3 billion in the Toronto area alone. Right. And, and I think the new home industry is about 5.1. And how many people are you employing? Uh, all in all, it's about 173,000 wow. in the GTA. So it's wow. it's a significant driver of economic activity. Yeah, yeah. Hi, provincial government. You may want to listen to this gentleman. There's a major employment situation happening. Um, you know, you know okay. Todd, this is what we say. I'll just let me tell you this because when we go and meet with municipal politicians, we say if GM were here, there would be all 42 councillors at the table. We're far larger than the auto industry, but we're fragmented. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. And you're right. You won't get that many councillors to show up when, That's you, right. when you want to talk. And you're dealing with the greatest asset that anybody owns. And this, 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 is, this is the problem. So, look, you know what? I, I, you know, there's an old saying, you take a, a horse to water, we can't make him drink. Well, <laughs> welcome to the government of Ontario. Um, anyways, so uh, just a quick, a couple of quick um, notes from you, perhaps, uh, when people are going under contract for renovations. Is there a couple of things that they should be aware of? First of all, always get it in writing, right? I mean, that's, you can't stress that enough. Um, understandings are great, but what happens at the end when it's time for payment and there's a misunderstanding. Oh, you mean changing the door wasn't included? Oh, that skylight wasn't included? I thought it was. We, we spoke about it. Get it in writing. Make sure you have change orders in writing. Every change that's made, make sure there's a meeting of the minds. This is a change. This is what it's going to cost. This is going to be the supplemental uh, fee to the contract. Right. Or in terms of allowances, when you're, uh, for example, if you have an allowance of $10 a square foot for tile, and you go and choose a tile that's $20 a square foot. How's that going to be treated? That should be clearly spelled out in all contracts. Timelines, when's the job going to be complete? Um, what's a reasonable delay? So what happens is people with us, they swear up and down they're not going to be the cause of the delay. They right. invariably are because sure. they go in order that countertop or tile that takes six weeks to come in. Right. And then there's also the deposit structures because a lot of people aren't aware. I mean, for both sides, of course, from a contractor perspective, you know, don't, you know, contractors shouldn't be showing up saying, you know, I need the whole thing up front. Okay. That should be a flag on the plate. Big time. But at the same time, you have trades to pay and, and definitely material bills. Well, we do milestone payments. Um, we want to show our good faith to our customers and say, okay, when we are done, the framing and the building envelope is secured, you know, we'll take a percentage of, of right. the project. Then when the subtrades are done, in other words, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, and drywall, we'll take another uh, draw then. And then at the end, when all the trim work and finishing and painting is done and everything is done, you know, we settle up. Yeah, and and I think that I think our, our listeners definitely have to understand. It's always good to have it have it staged, not huge massive bulk out of the gate because yes. again you're not protecting yourself as Correct. a client and you got to make sure you pay your trades because they they need to get paid and again you know it speaks to the fact that we're partners with our clients a lot of times you get a bit of an us versus them mentality and i never understood that <laughs> you know people want to affect change to their space so they hire someone to do that and in fact we are your partner it's as much an art as it is a science yeah excellent listen john carlo always a pleasure to have you here todd thank you it's cool. been a pleasure great to have you on folks that was john Carlos Safitas. He is director at Build. And coming up right after this, we've got Minutes with the Mayor. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
And welcome back. So, as I had mentioned earlier in the hour, our segment now with Minutes with the Mayor, we actually have a returning mayor, and it is Mayor Jeremy D. Williams from Orangeville. And Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for asking me back, and I'd always come back to visit you anytime. Excellent. Well, you know what? I appreciate that. You know, last time you and I spoke, you know, we were talking because it was kind of like the winter spring market was upon us. Now we're, uh, we're rolling here into the summer, and Toronto's starting to feel it. But uh, according to some of the stats, Orangeville is just, you know, they're humming along. Things are going well. Yeah, and I, I think that there's still that value. There's still value there. So uh, our prices have been very strong. Uh, sales have been very good. Uh, but because we're at a much lower level to start off with, we're not seeing any of that upward pressure. We're providing really good value. So, I mean, if you want to get a really great uh, property in a town that's really quite a, an amazing town to live in, uh, there are still properties there. Not not very many. It's still very much a, a seller's market. I had a, a little situation a few weeks back where uh, one of the family members had to go to the hospital and they were just outside of Caledon so we went to Orangeville and what a wonderful hospital yeah. and I gotta tell you you know you know and I don't want to inundate you guys with more people but you know not a huge weight your the staff there were amazing you know excellent care and you know really just a, a, a real welcome surprise. Yeah and one of the interesting things about healthcare and the way it works in Ontario is that the communities get together to do the fundraising, to buy the equipment, to build the actual hospital and infrastructure, and then the province are the ones that staff it. And so what you're seeing in our hospital is really just the evidence of the incredible community spirit that we have in Orangeville, where it's not a problem. Like if, if doctors need an extra this machine or a PET scan or a radiologist, whatever, uh, the, the community's right there to support them. So we've never had an issue with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if there's a reason to move to Orangeville, I definitely say the hospital's one of them. Um, can you can you tell us more about Orangeville, though? I mean, you know, not everybody understands, you know, what yeah. Orangeville represents. So I'll give you a snapshot of what Orangeville is for somebody who, who doesn't know anything about Orangeville. If you think of the perfect small town, so you've got a, a vibrant, warm downtown, uh, except you've also got things, uh, you know, like the, the Walmarts and the Home Depots and all that kind of stuff. So you really have everything you would really need you know to, to live in a community uh, but you have that added benefit of being about 35 minutes away from the city so that's one of the, the really cool things about Orangeville is that you're in a small town You've got the small town vibe, small town uh, community spirit, which is incredibly strong. Uh, we're a very warm, welcoming community. But hey, guess what? 35 minutes and you're back in the city and you can do whatever you want in you know the, the best uh, city in, in all of Canada. Wow. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that uh, I'm not sure if everybody realizes is, you know, A, how big Orangeville is and also the surrounding areas and what it all has to offer. I mean, you know, you are, you've, you've got so many, you know, trails and scenic areas around you that people you know when you are going to Orangeville you can you know kind of go out in every direction and find something of interest yeah and that's another great factor about uh, Orangeville it sets apart from many of the other uh, municipalities in the GTA is that the province has recognized the special um, area that we live in you know it is a, a protected biosphere uh, region it's it's uh, internationally recognized and so the the Hockley Valley the Bruce Trail 
is literally right on your doorstep. Right next to Orangeville is Island Lake, and we've uh, uh, we've got boardwalks, a big circular boardwalk that goes around us, eight kilometers. Uh, just a fantastic place to do uh, biking, running, jogging, and it's literally right on your doorstep. So. Uh, because it's in an area that's fairly sensitive, uh, the provincial government has kind of controlled growth outside of Orangeville. So we are literally, you know, uh, surrounded by this beautiful nature, the beautiful escarpment and all that kind of stuff. And yet we're, we're still a vibrant community. So we're about 30,000 strong. We have a very strong uh, local economy. You know, we've just uh, recently, uh, I, I issued a press release, we're having a new uh, food processing uh, factory there. So as many people come into Orangeville for work as leave. So it's not a bedroom community. Right. So it's very much, it has a heart and soul. And uh, I would certainly encourage uh, anyone who's interested in kind of getting away from the city to come to Orangeville. Yeah, excellent. And, and you know, it, it is a really nice drive actually. And, you know, as I said, you've got so much surrounding you and so many opportunities to go in the different directions. Um, one thing uh, about Orangeville, of course, is that it also has some events going on in the summer. And do you want to tell us about those this summer? Yeah, so the, the next one that's coming up is the, uh, uh, we have a rib fest. And so we have ribbers coming from all over uh, Ontario. Coming. <laughs> we just recently finished uh, our Aboriginal Day, uh, which is really the only Aboriginal uh, day event in the, in the whole region uh, that celebrates uh, the Indigenous people. Every week we have a, a different uh, event of one kind or another. And again, the reason we have so many of these events is it's driven by the service clubs and by the community itself. Right. And later in the summer, what else do we have to look forward to? Well, the July 1st is going to be coming up very soon. So we have, uh, uh, as most communities have, we have lots of things going on for that. Um, we have a, a really kind of a weird, weird, quirky one. We have a, a macaroni and cheese uh, festival. It's actually the first time that we've tried doing that. Uh, we have a, uh, a festival where we, we try out different kinds of beer. You know, uh, some of the, uh, the, the local <laughs> brewers make their, their specialty beers. Sure. Uh, so there, there's always something going on up there. And, and the number of people that I meet at these events, and they'll say to me something like, well, you know, we came up to Orangeville just for the day to check out whatever the you know see what's going on and then the very next year they're moving here yeah <laughs> and that, that that happens quite a lot yeah and 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 i understand that because you know i think what uh, orangeville does promote is a lot of family values like uh, from my understanding of orangeville you have that growing population of younger families people that are setting you know setting roots for a long period of time is is that the basic you know kind of demographic that you find you're attracting now a lot of the people that are in orangeville now are what i would call new orangeville people so they didn't grow up there they don't have you know multi-generations of uh of people that that you know, but they, they've they've come to Orangeville. They've seen it as a great value. Uh, they've moved there. So I would say probably about a third of Orangeville is like the old Orangeville, uh, where you know their their moms and dads were there. Um, but yeah, it, it's it is a young community. Uh, if you look at the provincial statistics, uh, we are actually slightly a little bit younger uh, than most other communities. So, uh, and that's great because if you do have a family, you know things like soccer. Uh, swim, hockey, lacrosse, all those sorts of things, uh, you, you're going to get lots of uh, young people coming out. And, sure. and so that also helps drive the whole community spirit. Yeah, excellent. So, you know, some recent developments since you and I last had a chat, um, and and I, uh, you know, I asked you this off air, and, and you said, yeah, by all means, let's have a chat. And it was the wind government, I, I call it a 16-gauge shotgun approach, okay? <laughs> uh, for those of you hunting that, you know, it's a it's a smaller shell, but, you know, they, they, they 
way through out because they want to control the real estate economy. Bad idea. Yeah. And I, I wanted your take on it. What What is your personal take on that approach and trying to inhibit people, um, you know, what they can actually do with their own properties? Yeah. A- anyone who studies economics, especially a history of economics, will see so many times when you try to control a market, all you do is you warp it, you twist it. And bad things happen. So I've never been a proponent of trying to meddle with things like that. Uh, I think the provincial government made a mistake. Um, I was actually very disappointed that uh, Mayor Tory of Toronto uh, supported some of these things. You know, markets have, have been successful at finding that ideal price for thousands of years. You know, uh, the, the communist uh, socialist sort of system, it really doesn't work well in a marketplace environment, <laughs> right? Right. And so I think anytime you try to, uh, to do that, um, it's not, it's, you, you know, you may be going into it with, with a, a good heart, thinking you're somehow helping. The end result is probably not going to be very good. And if you look back to the 70s with the rent controls, what you ended up doing was almost destroying the city where it was impossible to find affordable rental accommodations. Well, part, part and parcel of that, and I, I got to interject on this, is the fact that the people that were building the apartment buildings said, okay, fine, you want to control us? We're not building it anymore. And exactly. so now we have this huge situation. And, you know, the government itself always struggles with government housing. And if they, if there was more public housing, meaning, you know, let, let, let the privateers go out there, build it, and allow them to be able to rent it out. And I know a lot of, a lot of our listeners or some of the ones that are our tenants are saying, yes, but, you know, we shouldn't have to have this inflation on rents. Well, what about the inflation on the costs of actually running the buildings? Why why would somebody want to be a nonprofit organization when they're putting millions out into a building? Yeah. And and I know some renters out there uh you, you know may feel frustrated with this, but you have to understand that for an apartment to happen, somebody has to invest the money, has to buy it, has to maintain it. It costs money, and if there's absolutely no money, in it, then that's where you start finding issues where, oh, well, you know, the stove's not working, the fridge isn't working, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So uh, it's worked very well letting the market set set these prices. Uh, if it, the prices go crazy high, guess what? Someone else will step into the market sure. and then it will equalize out. Yeah. And the the whole idea of, you know, real estate is a, is a big investment. And anytime you're gonna have the government come in and start to meddle with it, Ah, you got that like barrier, like oh, sure. geez, is this a good idea, or are they going to do it again? So, uh, you know, if if Queens Park is uh, is listening, and I doubt very much that they are. Oh, hang uh, on, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> but everybody if they are, <laughs> Then I really hope that they would just, you know, uh, back away from this uh, control freak sort of thing that they have. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure to have you here at Simply Real Estate. Uh, I agree, you know, great to see you, and uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Hope to be back again soon. Excellent, folks. That was the mayor of Orangeville, Mr. Jeremy D. Williams. And uh, I just want to thank my other guests uh, this hour, uh, Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage, and of course, John Carlos Sofitas joining us from Build. Always a pleasure having everyone on. I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant, always making it simple for me to do the show each week. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Now, remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. Have a great week.